0: It's time to Accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to Episode 712, that's 712, of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Hey, I have another great episode lined up for you today. You're really going to enjoy this. My guest today is Steve Norman. Steve is the author of a book titled Future-Proof Sales Strategy. Seven Steps to Rise Above the Chaos and Transform Your Team and Take Charge of Your Career. Now, in today's conversation, Steve and I discuss his seven-step strategy to future-proof your selling. It's written from the perspective of the organization and the sales manager as well as you, the individual seller, the individual contributor. And one of the areas we're going to explore in depth is the necessity for individual contributors and teams alike to become much, much more proficient in-the-middle-of-the-funnel sales skills. You know, things we take for granted. Discovery, qualification, needs analysis, and so on. And, and these are the steps, I believe, are the ones that are the most important steps in your sales process. And we're going to talk about why perhaps we even need to take a cue from the hyper-specialization that's occurred with our outbound sales processes and develop some real specialists in some of these middle-of-the-funnel sales steps. So, this is an enlightening and eye-opening conversation. Make sure you stick around for it. Before we get to Steve, I do want to take a quick minute to talk with you about the sales house. Now, in sales, success is all about doing the things, both significant and subtle, that make the difference between winning and losing. And in the sales house, I help you master the skills that will elevate you from average to excellent. Now, You know how to build a relationship with a prospect. You've been doing it your entire sales career, but come into the sales house and we'll show you how to do it better. You've been trained how to do a discovery call or qualify a prospect, those middle of the funnel steps I just talked about. Come into the sales house. I'll teach you how to do those better. You've been coached how to work a deal. Every week we have coaching. I'll coach you how to work those deals more effectively and productively. So if you're not currently completely satisfied with the trajectory of your career, well, then the sales house is the resource you need to reach the next level and the level above that. So, come learn how to be the best version of you in the sales house. Visit the saleshouse.com. That is thesaleshouse.com. We'll look forward to seeing you there. Alright, let's jump into today's conversation. Steve
1: Norman, welcome to the show. Hey, real pleasure to be here, Andy. Pleasure to
0: have you. So, you're joining us all the way from where today?
1: Uh, Sydney, Australia on the... Place called Coleroy on the northern beaches. So, like north of Bondi? Oh, yeah. Bondi is south of the city. Okay. Uh, the northern beaches is north of the city. If you know a place called Manly. Yeah. Well, that's what uh, I was thinking. I was thinking like Manly. Bondi Actually,
0: I've, yeah. I've been to Manly. And that's and,
1: why I, Okay. The two beaches I knew Manly and Bondi. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I'm just a little north of Manly.
0: Got it. Well, that's a beautiful, oh, spot. Area. beautiful area, yeah. And also, yep. since it's summertime there, it's 20 degrees here in New York City today, so 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So Okay. Uh, I uh, would
1: trade places. Yeah, no, it's lovely at this time of year. Yeah. That's so, for sure.
0: Well, good. Well, thank you for joining me. So, we're going to talk about um, your book. So, you got a new book gift for those of us who, who can see Steve. We are recording the video. Behind him, he's promoting himself well. Future proof sales strategy. The name of his book: Seven Steps to Rise Above the Chaos. Transform your team and take charge of your career. So, let me ask you a question. And this this is one that that I think I don't know, at least I think about. It. I think others think about it as well. Is is this whole concept of of future proofing is is one I've thought a lot about actually. And you make a good point in your book is that you know, the rate of change is so extreme these days. Um, certainly, it's not slowing down, whether it's getting faster, I don't know. But I mean, certainly the rate of change is, is, is still very extreme. Is if things are changing so quickly, how can you really future-proof yourself, right? I mean, that's this, we can talk about an organizational sales team yes. level or an individual seller. Is And you outlined some Sales structure, recommend sales structure in your book and so on. And, but you know, things change, right? I mean, it's, it's at some exactly. point, at some point, that's going to be outdated.
1: So, no, it's a, it's a fair point. So, so the, the idea of the book is okay, let, let's, he, here's how you get your team and your structure like up to date and competitive mm-hmm. in today's situation. But then the last portion of the book is about how to manage constant and ongoing change. Okay. okay. So, how to constantly evaluate what's happening on the horizon, um, look for those, those early indicators um, that things aren't working as well and that, that we need to adapt again. And uh, we, we need to keep aligning, keep adapting our sales machine. You know, I, I liken it to a, a living organism, if you it like, is, yeah. that, that needs to change, needs to reflect you know, the company's priorities, and what's happening in the market and and we need to be constantly adapting um and it's something sales sales teams probably haven't been you know that great at is uh you know managing change in a in the sales context was
0: that you know if you look within a, a entire corporate uh, structure and all the various departments is is sales less adaptable than others i mean I mean, you've worked for some big organizations. I mean, no,
1: I, I wouldn't say it's less adaptable. I'm, I'm just talking about you know the, the sales sales teams themselves. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it, it's less adaptable, but you know, in general, um, you know, change initiatives and even you know general business initiatives have got a pretty high failure rate. You know, around the seventy percent mark. Mm-hmm. So, they, um, you, you need to be very serious about managing change and uh, drive that through a, a pretty detailed structure. If you miss any key step in change management, uh, you know, things won't take hold. Right. Yeah. And so, we know salespeople bounce straight back to their old practice.
0: Um, <laughs> well, and I, I just so to that point though, is is there some thought that um, in our rush to to adapt, is, is that we're adapting to a perception of change that that you know maybe isn't really there in reality, that maybe things aren't changing quite as quickly as we think they are. I mean, I, I sort of get that sense. I mean, because you, certainly you see it, and 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 we'll see it in sales, right? Right now, there's there's a sort of I will call it the sales structure du jour sort of mentality. Is right now there's you know we've got a playbook, we've got inside sales, we've got you know SDRs, we've really focused on specialized sales functions, and that and we're still talking about it like it's sort of new, but the fact is it's been around for almost twenty years now. In some cases, longer, depending on the industry. Yes. And we know that's going to change, right? Because we're already seeing. I'm certainly seeing in the conversations I have with sales leaders that they're saying, "Well, you know, this model, yeah, we went hold hog into it because this is what everybody said worked, and you know, it's not, it's not working for us. So we're going to make some changes." You know, how do you, how do you, where do you see those changes coming from? I mean, and and how do you, how do you really, how do you really discern what is actual change you need to react to versus, like I said, sort of the perceived change?
1: Yeah, I guess there's a. A couple of categories of company or sales teams. Uh, th- there are some that really haven't moved to that specialization model at all, right? So I, I still see a lot of that uh, where sales teams are running, say, in a regional team and the regional manager is responsible for the target. Mm-hmm. And then what happens underneath that regional team, we don't really have much visibility or, you know, we, we have some idea of the structure and what they're doing, but they're doing. Uh, new business. They're doing, you know, uh, managing deals. They're they're managing existing customers and expansion. They're going into new markets, you know, within that region, say, mm-hmm. right. So, so that will be the the old type of structure. Um, so or they've a got an opportunity f- a full, to full
0: move. lifetime rep. You're saying,
1: yeah, that's right to move towards some specialization. And then there's the organisations that were earlier um, to move into specialization. You know, have the inside and so forth, but. Most of those organisations, yeah, maybe they've been running their their acquisition inside sales engine uh, for ten years or fifteen years, um, but a lot of what they're doing um, is what they were doing ten years ago. That was effective then, so mm-hmm. I don't know if the, if the structure is wrong in, in that sense. Um, you know, I really want to be auditing and inspecting what they're actually doing, and are they doing? you know, the right quality work. So, so I think that that's a big change is, is a shift. To be successful now, you have to be doing very high-quality activity uh, versus just hitting numbers, just driving quantity. That was enough before. You know, get 10 graduates in a room, teach them about your product, your advantages, give them a list of accounts to call, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you've got a pretty decent hit rate on just calling out or sending a pretty basic email. Um, you know, that just – that has a very poor return these days. So, you know, we at least need to be, within that structure, doing a much higher quality uh, job there. Yeah, well, this
0: whole idea of the specialization is is fascinating, and I think it's inevitable. I think it it is the right way to go. I wonder if we have, though, the way so many companies are implementing it is that they have the wrong people in the jobs, though. And give a perfect example is, is. And I, I don't necessarily know the answer, but just a concern is, is that you know, we have our outreach being done by the least experienced people, right? Our proactive outreach in really specialized roles. And I could make a compelling case that we should actually have our most experienced people doing outreach because that first interaction is so critical that maybe it's not just about if you actually get a hold of someone, you shouldn't just be trying to set use that call, that few minutes you have with them to set the next meeting, you should actually say, let's have a substantive conversation. I've got you on the phone. I've seen this work. I've implemented this model. If you get you know, more experienced people, I call the sharp end of the stick in my first book. You can actually engage people in a much different way, a much higher level that truly does accelerate the selling process. So, But we don't seem to have many people are sort of open to these ideas because we tend to think, and this is I think back to sort of a point you're yep. making about sort of traditional views of things, is what's the point of uh, saying, look, we're going to do the specialization if we're just basically putting a, a, a veneer of specialization on the old hierarchical structure we always used to use?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think you know prospecting you know, gets a lot of attention and we're talking about it. Um, and definitely, that's getting much harder. I believe that than it than it used to be. You know, customers are avoiding. I believe customers are avoiding salespeople more. We know they're doing their research online and so forth. So it is a it's a it's a tough job. I'd say to your point, you know, it depends what you're selling. Depends on the value of what you're selling. But but I've seen inside sales teams be very effective. Uh, with the right training, and yeah, maybe they're not fresh out of college, mm-hmm. maybe they're three to five years experience, you're able to take the sale right through to completion. Yeah. You know, uh, up to, say, I don't know, 100000 to 200000 a year type of subscriptions. Mm-hmm. I think up, up, up to that level mm-hmm. uh, is pretty successful. Uh, beyond that, you know, I'd like that team, they, they probably need to engage, you know, a field person uh, yes. to take sale forward. Right. Um, But and I like the idea of you know some of the teams I've set up is that inside person continues as the can continue as the main contact even Mm -hmm. for that account. And they're more like directing the field resource to sort of come in and and do a specific job. Because the field resource is, we know it's much more expensive. just in sure. terms of salary, but in terms of their efficiency, how many meetings they can have, and and all of that, we want to use that very carefully, very sparingly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the idea of you know how far can we take inside sales in in the sales process, and then you know, even, like I say, even have them you know, manage the sale right through.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting too because this is a. Um... I don't know. Maybe it's a lack of of oral tradition being passed down or something. But but there's this <laughs> perspective that oh, back you know twenty years ago, you know the field sales rep was yeah this whole inefficiency thing. They could only make so many calls per day. And, and as someone who started my career as field salesperson and really used primarily, see, I wouldn't even have called the sales teams. I grew field sales teams right because. We spent on the sales team. <laughs> we spent 75% of our time on the phone. And then yeah, sure. when we had, when we had to go travel, as I told you, I used to travel yep. to Australia a lot. But I went with a specific intent and purpose and everything else it handled phone and fax and email, right? So um yeah, that doesn't seem like it's that different, right? <laughs> Especially what you just described. Oh, right. You have an inside person sort of directing it and then if they need to invoke a field person, they bring that field specialist in. Model's not that
1: different: Sure. sure. And, and I know I was in Dell from uh, 1993 to 2006, right? Mm. And, and when we were heavily into inside sales from the beginning, and I think, right. I think we mastered that um, that balance of inside and outside, and we pushed it as far as we could. So for, for the large enterprise accounts, we probably had one 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 to two or one and a half. Inside people for mm-hmm. each field person uh, to do, you know, all the preparation and administration, and, and just to keep that field person fully occupied, you know, two, two or three high quality meetings a day with high end enterprise customers, mm-hmm. and of course the field person is is doing a lot of their own appointment setting as well. But you've right. got this like support, and then in the what we call the medium sized accounts, uh, you know, say below five thousand employees or 5,000 seats, it was more like four inside for a field person, right? Mm-hmm. And we played around with that number. A mm-hmm. lot was down to three and we sort of stretched it out to six and looked like about four was good. And that's where the inside person really owned the account and right. was really doing this direction. Right. At the enterprise level, the field guy probably owned it with the inside supporting and following right. up more. Um, and then when we went into what we small business say below a thousand employees or below 500, it was more like ten or twelve, right So we would uh-huh. only get the the field person involved if it was really worthwhile. you know yeah. if, if we came across a whale, you know the inside guy came across someone needing you know 300 pcs, all right okay we'll we'll get and you you had to you had to justify. Um, getting the field person in, right? So, which
0: which was always the case, right? I mean, at least in my yeah. experience. When I, I mean, again, I wasn't working in an enterprise the size of Dell, but uh, a lot of high growth startups, and yeah, we, yeah, you know, as an executive, I I had to sign off on all the travel. I mean, I, <laughs> the whole theory sure. was we traveled when we needed to; otherwise, we could get through everything we needed remotely. Which is, like I said, it's, it's sort of funny because people people act like. You know, sometimes, like, it's a revelation, but yeah, you know, companies have been sort of doing this for a while. I think there was this perception that it wasn't quite that, you know, that fields people and there are certain industries yeah. that field people are in the field all the time. But a lot of B2B situations, and certainly in the technology sphere I was in, yeah, we couldn't afford to be there all the time, right? We had to be yeah, judicious. I,
1: I, I guess we've, we've got a different point of view because I, I just think, you know. I want. I want to keep the field person fully occupied in the field as much as possible, and and I just think it's going to be more efficient mm-hmm. to have a the the inside work, the groundwork. Um, a lot of that can be done if more efficiently by someone who's at their desk the whole time, mm-hmm. you know, with access to the system and access to mm-hmm. the CRM and, mm-hmm. and and doing all of that. Um, well,
0: so, I guess we're not that different. Actually, I was just saying is that, oh, that the, percep- okay. the, percep- the perception, the <laughs> perception. Of currently today, if people look back 10, 20 years and say, yeah, that didn't work, that was, it's like, it's really not that radically different. I mean, there's, oh, yeah, the more, sure. there's more specialization, but in a lot of the industries that, that are using the inside sales technology, and for Dell, for instance, yeah, it almost always was heavily inside oriented. Uh, oh, yeah. Even, even nominally field, you know, I had nominal field people that all sat at headquarters and they traveled when they need to, but they were spending, you know, seventy five percent of their time inside. Right. So, all right. right well, yes. Let's 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 talk about uh, let's talk about your book and your seven steps of future proofing your sales strategy. And because uh, there's some really interesting things in there. Um, and so step one was employing the right sales structure. We sort of beat that to death here a little bit. Um, yeah, sure. But one thing that's really critical you talk about recruit and promote the right talent. And the yes. quote from the book about how shockingly ineffective traditional hiring practices are. Yeah, my takeaway was that you were saying that's really perhaps the most important thing to be done.
1: Yeah, well, I'm saying if you don't do anything else, do this better, do this differently. Um, I think if you know, let's say you're running an inefficient sales structure, uh, you don't have the best processes, but you're getting by the one lever you can pull, or let's say you're running everything really well, the one lever you can pull to give, give you a lot of upside is to improve the quality of, of the people you have in, in all the key positions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the way the way that we traditionally hire and the way that people still hire is mostly on gut feel. Right. It's from unstructured interviews. It's from people we know or people who are like us or you know, uh, people who come into our office and we build rapport with and, uh, of course, salespeople are really great. At, <laughs> if they're not good at anything, they're good at coming they into your office that, and, right. and, and, and making a personal connection, right? So, um, we really need to have a more uh, structured scientific way of selecting salespeople. And, and these days, there's a lot of great tools around uh, that work. You, know, you can do independent testing of people mm-hmm. to see what their sales aptitude is like and what they're, you know, how they're going to perform in different sales roles, whether that's a hunting role or a account management role an inside role uh, and, and so forth. So we should be taking advantage of that.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I think the assessments and the, the aptitude tests are, are good data points to have as part of the process. right? If it's about having a more structured yes. hiring process, yeah, I think they get oversold in terms of the value.
1: of Yes, them. no, it's a component. It's, it's, a, like, it's like yeah, other components would be to do more structured interviews. Mm-hmm. Right? So tell us what you mean by that. Well, uh, uh, at first, an unstructured interview is an interview where you know we don't know where it's going to go. We don't know where it's going to take us. We start talking to the salesperson. We get a story. We get an example. We go down a different path. Then we pass that salesperson to the next interviewer and they have their own way of interviewing mm-hmm. them, and then they go to a third person and they have their own way. Then we all get together and we have this sort of anecdotal recall of what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be an unstructured process. A structured process would be getting in ten salespeople and asking them all the same questions. In the same order. In the same order. No, I agree. A huge, yeah huge
0: believer in this I mean this is
1: yes uh, so so this needs this needs some thought and preparation um and but once you do that work you can use that you know ongoing right so you really need to think about the you know the, the key questions to be asking um and then ideally following that we should get them to do a piece of work mm-hmm. Right? Right. So if if we if we do the um, independent assessment, we do a structured interview, then we get them to do a a small piece of work that's very relevant to the sales situations we find ourselves in. um, We're going to make much better decisions. That I could, I couldn't think of more than I couldn't think of a handful of companies that are following that that process at the moment.
0: Yeah. Interestingly, um, yeah, it's our organization. I don't see many sales teams doing it. my wife works at a big academic institution here in, in New York and yeah. and they do it for yeah, right. for employees, they do it for the interviews they, they have for prospective students. She teaches at a medical school here. For so prospective applicants, um, or applicants who are prospective students. Yeah, they do a very structured interviewing process. And mm. and I think for you know, in this in the spirit of what we're talking about future proofing, is that you have to have the structured hiring process, as you described. I mean, I'm a huge believer that what you do is you identify your steps in your process. And, you know, a step could be the aptitude test step, could be the assessment step, could be the structured interviews. I still think one person needs to do the deep dive interview that goes through the resume, you know, like the, the hiring manager okay. maybe. But, but that, yeah, you have three or four people who are assigned to do the, the structured interview. That, but every step has a point value. Right? You you score. You score this. So at the end yes. you say, look, my hiring range is between maybe the total max points of this is 45 points and I'm only going to hire people that are 38 or better. But to the point about future-proofing, what that does then is you can then, two years from now, when you've, you're looking at hiring somebody new, found out, oh, you know, we actually had the best results from people that were 42 to 36s. I mean, it's like, or 42, Yeah, we. You Absolutely. get data to yeah. say, okay, how do I improve my process? How do I perfect it? And we're just that doesn't exist in
1: sales hiring today. And so sure. I, think,
0: I think if you're trying to, build and even a if stru- we
1: have an eye to the future, you know, which which folks are we bringing in that, that might have team leader or management potential? Exactly. You know, if we're in a you know a fast growing mode, um, that could be part know, of a structured interview. We're yeah, we're trying to attract folks with three to five years experience to get on the phones. But maybe they're not. They're they they're looking for a team lead role. You know, we can test them to be a team leader, but say, hey, you got to be on the phone for a year, and then we'll we'll take you to team leader, and we know that they're ready for that already. So, um, you know, it can be useful in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I just I think the lesson for people listening is is that whatever you're doing with hiring is you gotta you have to quantify what it is that you want to hire, and quantify the results, and keep your records, and look at. The outcomes you're receiving with the people that you hired, compared to the, you know, the scores that you wanted people to have, and then you you give yourself a way to start training yourself to recruit and hire the people you want, and we just that that feedback loop over time. Just I see, I'm not sure I've seen any company that does that with sales hiring, and Mm. and it's it's crazy.
1: Yes, yeah, I've seen seen companies that offer that service to companies like it's outsourced. Mm. And uh, you know they have the tools and everything that do the tracking, and they they feed in the uh, the sales performance data into the system. Okay. And so, so you can get a, a very strong correlation between uh, which what guys are you know, which guys or girls are performing well and what attributes they had um, you know at the time they did the testing, and mm-hmm. you just and that uses uh, machine learning to just keep improving the hiring process. So so that's how it should should evolve and also like we talked about, yeah, roles evolve, things change. Mm-hmm. Um and, and as that gets updated, you know, so it should be again this sort of living breathing system. Right. Um but the fact yes. is for
0: you know, even a small company that has a handful of salespeople, you can still do this. It's just you can do it all on a spreadsheet. I mean it doesn't it doesn't require yeah, that's, that's, an application yes. or an addition to your tech stack or anything. It's just yeah do a Google sheet and and just it'll be there and just Start adding data to it as you start hiring additional people. So sure. um and the same thing's true as like with with forecasting. I mean in sales. Again, <sighs> I know there's some companies that do it. I personally haven't seen any where they train managers on how to forecast and provide a feedback loop mm-hmm. on it so that they sure. continue to improve their forecasting skills.
1: Yeah, I think my, my background in Dell may be a PhD in forecasting, but you know, the, it was it was very good on um yeah, you know, like a, your pipeline at week six
0: mm-hmm.
1: at, at this much, you're definitely going to end up here based mm-hmm. on the last like 18 quarters of performance right. and different variables and you know, a, a small army of analysts doing that. Um, so, but not very many few. Com- not many companies have that though, right? No, no, they, 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 <laughs> they, don't. So there's a lot of upside in implementing just a basic, you know, back of the envelope version of that.
0: Um, yeah. Well, I just, uh, yeah, for so many companies, you know, the vast majority of companies, certainly here in the states, is is yeah, it's back of the envelope forecasting. You know, bottoms up, reps submit it to the manager. The manager looks at it, tweaks it, it goes to the next level, gets tweaked, yada yada yada. Fine, yeah, that's okay, but you have to be giving people feedback on it, and oh yeah, and help them learn how they could do it. Better and it starts with the data and the data. Okay, data. The, the data yes. out. The data's out
1: there. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think that's one of the it's sort of the theme as I was building to, on that is, is, and you addressed it somewhat in your book. Is you know we have to one of the best ways to use the technology to improve productivity of sales overall is to track this type of data.
1: Yeah, and most companies have huge amounts of data available. It's um, you know using it. Big enterprise
0: does certainly, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, but absolutely.
0: We got a lot of you know small, mid sized businesses that listen to the show, and you've got the deal yeah. too. It may take you a little more work no, no, to, do no, it, to do it, I it manually, a, but I, I agree. So, so one of the other topics you talk about is I want to dig into is developing high converting middle of the funnel capability. So, tell people what you meant by that because we're starting to see this acronym MOFU M O F U. More often, more frequently, so in your mind what what is that high converting middle of the funnel capability
1: yeah so again it's uh, sort of comes back to the the specialization right so we're going to have our uh, you know high performing sort of you know, account acquisition or, or prospecting group mostly you know going to be inside focused generating opportunities and mm-hmm. leads and then we want to have you know the field sales team who uh you know we want to keep them Pretty fully occupied, you know, doing high quality uh, meetings uh, with with valuable customers or valuable potential customers, and we want we want that group to be absolutely expert at that those middle of funnel activities. Okay, so again, we're getting away from a, a generalist uh, who may, may be managing a bunch of existing customers and their time gets caught up there, and they're doing some prospecting, and they're sort of good at the middle of funnel, but you know they're not PhD level. So I really want PhD level middle of funnel experts uh, who are just great at you know, engaging with customers, um, bringing insight to customers, uh, bringing value to customers, um, and really differentiating our products and our company to the customer. Um, you know customers you know that they don't want you know we know this well that they don't need someone to come along and educate them about our products or about our company or about how many offices we have. Um, you know that that's we know that that doesn't add value right we, we need mm-hmm. we need business people that understand the customer's industry, understand the customer's business, understand the sort of challenges someone in that the customer's role has and be able to bring some value and, and insight into that. So so, so that that's the, the first part. Um, and then we know that buying in large companies has become much more complex. And uh, we talk, you know, the, the, the buying committee topic uh, is a pretty common topic in sales at the moment where there's, it a, is. you know, a lot of folks involved mm-hmm. uh, in in buying decisions now. And because when we're talking about, you know, buying a SaaS system or or, or buying anything substantial you're talking about change and talking about the, the customer having to change what they're doing. And then, you know, a lot of people get involved in those decisions when you're talking about change. And there's a lot of folks um, who will, uh, who can say no, exactly. who, who, don't want, who don't want to change. And uh, we need to be skilled at working with the, uh, you know, the key buyer or the, the, the key contact we're dealing with who, who wants this solution we need to be working with them, okay, how are we going to navigate this buying committee or the other stakeholders and, and work with them and help them to do that effectively? And then you know, there's a number of techniques you get into um, uh, you know, building our value proposition, building the business case, not just winning the beauty contest. So we, we, we see uh, a lot of salespeople able to get the customer convinced that we have the best solution Okay, so yeah, I've got the best security solution for your company versus five other competitors, but that doesn't get you the deal. And no. and, and it, 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 there's plenty of uh, salespeople I've seen come to me and say, "Hey, yeah, I, I, I got the design win. Um, they had the budget. Uh, I had great support, but I, I didn't get the deal. All right, because that's only half the deal. The other half is getting it through this buying committee mm-hmm. and getting it approved. And and when you're getting to that level. Now we're starting to compete maybe with other projects and other priorities in the business. Yep. Um, that have nothing to do with what we're selling. And so we we do have to have that very strong business case. We need to have you know the different stakeholders aligned. So so I want folks, and I, we've got to be training our uh, our sales folks on on how to manage through you know that whole complex process. Um, and then at the end of it, of course, we want to get a good outcome for us, and we want a good outcome for the customer. So, you know, high-level, highly-tuned negotiation skills, uh, I think, are very important for this for this function as well, uh, to make so, sure.
0: Well, yeah. So, question about that, because <laughs> just this week, I published a, a piece saying that sales should not be involved in negotiation. Mm. And okay. Um, yeah, I feel very strongly about that i that sales are horrible negotiators, and <laughs> I think if you're selling anything of any complexity, especially and and you see this as a problem a lot of times in high growth sales teams, is that yeah you know, the managers, the sell sales reps themselves they take on this role of of negotiating, and really you know they're not specialists at it. If you want to close a deal, get a deal through procurement in this more complex environment. You really should use contract professionals. I mean, that's the, from my way, when I was growing high-growth high sales teams, Yeah, one of the most valuable people I had. Because when we, we got customers <laughs> rarely enter into negotiations on a parallel basis with multiple vendors because mm. it's, it's a waste of time. They make their vendor choice, they enter into the negotiations. Oh. So, at that point, my perspective, if if we want to I think future proof I'll start future proofing sales to some degree is that's not seller's job. We're talking about specialization of roles, right? Yeah, negotiation is not a specialized skill.
1: If you have the scale, and you're talking about your pretty substantial, you know, multi multi million dollar contracts, I I, I would I've had experience with that, and uh, I think it can work really well.
0: I don't think it has to be that big of a contract. I think if you have hundred thousand dollar contracts, yeah, that you maybe maybe you start with your your outside attorney for a bit. But get the salesperson out of the loop because a they're not good at it. You're trying mm-hmm. to preserve margin. The only thing salespeople are really skilled at is giving discounts.
1: Yeah, to win a deal,
0: splitting, yeah, I, splitting the difference.
1: No, I, I think it's a challenge, and, uh, and and hence I highlight yeah they need to have negotiation skills if they're going to be negotiating deals. You know, I, I guess that that that's another solution <laughs> is to bring in bring in a specialist. Uh, but in reality. Most companies aren't going to do that, so well. I think,
0: this, uh, we I think at
1: least give them some basic. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, and I've got a couple of basic frameworks for negotiation. At least slightly complexify the deal. Don't just get into a, a product and a price discussion. Let's try and bring in some other elements. Yes. Uh, in, in, that we can trade off, right? That's, and that's at, the point. at least be doing that. At least be doing that. That basic thing, and yeah. none of
0: them relate to price, so. Directly, right? Yeah. So, you do want to have your salespeople, especially more complex deals, is is trained in this, this trade off. You call it negotiation, yes. it's called trade offs. Is that, oh. yeah, customer says, Well, huh, we really need to have
1: mm.
0: you know, this price because it's not quite at our budget. Mr. Price, that's fine. So, let's just look at the scope. How about if we just, you know, okay, we get to that price, but we just can't do XYZ? Oh, no, no, no. We, sure. really, we really need to have XYZ. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, maybe something else. No, no, we really, okay. Yeah, just as long as you're on that basis, a salesperson can do that type of trade off with someone. And mm-hmm. that's appropriate that they should. But once you get into nits
1: and grits, you know, nitty
0: gritty of the, the contract, that really shouldn't be the same. Oh,
1: detail. Yeah, I'm talking more. Okay. I'd like to introduce maybe a, a term commitment. Uh, I'd like to talk about maybe the terms of termination, uh, payment terms. Um, Your yeah, value-added services, just bring in some other elements away from price. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: No, I agree, and that's and then it you position special. the seller to say, okay,
1: or even uh, referenceability. Sometimes you can trade off referenceability for some better terms for the customer. Uh, if the Perhaps. customers would stand up and introduce you to five other similar accounts, then uh, you can be maybe more flexible. Um, so, just just bringing in some of those elements.
0: So we just have a few minutes left, but I just wanted to dig more into yeah, sure. some of the middle of funnel things is: is We I mean, I, you talked about sort of business acumen type type capabilities yes. which I think are hugely important and, and vastly underrepresented in, in our sales force in general uh, and worldwide. but yeah, I think things like uh, qualification, discovery, needs analysis, things that, that are these Again, sort of core middle of funnel skills are getting short shrift, and I think that that I agree. Um, you know, taking your point about we need to develop those capabilities. I think that's from an individual standpoint. I think that's what when you combine that with the business acumen you described, you can get those skills down. You you start future proofing yourself a little bit. Considering, I think so. If you're assuming that yeah. you continue to learn, because for me the only way to really future proof yourself, the only thing you can really do is just commit yourself to keep on learning, right? Because things are going to change. So as long as you're staying on top of change by continuing to learn, proactively learning, that's really, that's really key. And I think these middle funnel skills, business acumen, discovery, qualification, needs, and all those things, there's so much talk about prospecting. Right? We spent a good chunk of the show talking oh. about prospecting.
1: Now, Andy, I think if I, if I size, yeah, prospecting to me is about this big. Well, Give us
0: words because people are most people are listening, not
1: watching. I think closings about this big, but I think discovery is like this big. All right, I I just think that that the middle part of the sale and and we do huge focus over here on this shiny object of uh, account acquisition and prospecting, and then closing used to get a lot of attention. And yeah, how do you close deals? I want a closer and all this nonsense, Mm, right? Yeah, but. We know closing is quite easy if we do discovery and the, like the gap analysis and the establish analysis. exactly right all this stuff. That's where we have to be spending time. I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah, and I, I was making this comment to somebody yesterday. And that- you
1: don't you don't solve this by reading a book or doing a course for a couple of days. This is a, a very intense, ongoing commitment. You know, to be to being able to do that. It, it, it's not a it's not a trivial skill.
0: No, and I I I was making a comment to me just a couple of days ago, but you look at uh, the conferences that are available in the sales world, and there's you know a disproportionate number of them devoted to prospecting.
1: Yeah, no outbound. And, yeah, yeah, which I think is a great <laughs> idea.
0: I mean, I'd, I'd oh, it's awesome. Yeah, know and respect the guys that that do it. The friends of mine. Yeah, um, but I'm saying, where's the show on qualification? Mm. Where's the show on discovery? Yes. Because. Arguably, as you pointed out, you're, in your example, you were using your fist to describe the relative importance of prospecting and closing, and you're drawing a huge circle uh, yeah. for for the middle of the funnel. This
1: think, is this an opportunity for you and I to start a conference then? Well, let's do, because I think that I'm this is really this is
0: really something that's it's a critical issue. And again, we're talking about you know, how do people prepare themselves for the future. Is, is yep. an illustration I used to sort of you know, I'll run it by you, see if you buy into it. You're an Australian, you should understand this. So, I use triathlon as, as sort of the, the analogy. So, okay. three sports, swimming, biking, running. You know, the top pros, if they do an Ironman triathlon, roughly eight hours to complete it. Mm. Swimming's first. Swimming takes, you swim two and a half miles, ride 112, run a 26.2 mile marathon. The swimming takes roughly 10% of the total thing. Right. And when you talk to professional triathletes, and I've swum with a bunch in my swing training in the past, they always just say, well, you never win a triathlon on the swim leg. Mm. But you have, to, you have to be competent at it. You have to, you have to be able to yes. complete it. You can't be dead last coming out of the water. So, to me, that's like prospect. We have to be good at it. Yeah. But when you look at the relative scale of what you have to work on as an organization, as a sales team, it's really yes. those last two parts that get you across the finish line, and and I think we sort of ignore them. To my point about a discovery show or a, a mm-hmm. conference on qualification, yet arguably they're way more important. Yes, you can't do anything to get a prospect, but you're not going to get across the finish line if you aren't masters of these skills in the middle of the funnel.
1: Oh yeah, and you're going to be you're going to be very good at prospecting if you master that discovery and insight and everything anyway. You know, I, I I think.
0: But there's different uh, people doing it, though, right? So, yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. Yes. To your point.
0: So, anyway, all right, there's our conference idea. We'll chat about that yeah, offline. Okay. Um, absolutely. So, we've run out of time, but tell people how to get in contact with you and learn more about
1: your book. Yeah, absolutely. So, you can check out my website, uh, au, And there's a, a book page on there uh, with a future proof sales strategy. Oh. Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Stephen Norman, or uh, my handle is growth-coach, growth-coach, linkedin.com slash growthcoach. And uh, so, look forward to engaging with everyone. Thanks a lot, Andy.
0: Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you and look forward to continuing the conversation.
1: Absolutely. Great to join you today.
0: Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week first of all,
1: as always, I want to thank you for
0: taking the time to join me here. And I also want to thank my guest, Steve Norman, joining us all the way from Australia. Join me again next week as my guest will be Dale Dupree. Dale, whose online persona is the copier warrior, has a really great perspective on sales. I think you'll really enjoy it. Make sure you join me then. And before you go, don't forget to check out the sales house. The all in one sales performance accelerator for B2B sellers just like you. Visit the saleshouse.com. So, thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Until next week, good
1: selling, everyone.